0: Welcome back everybody to the Deeper Than Sunday podcast. This podcast exists to be an extension of Grace Church San Diego's teaching on Sunday. Guys, we got the crew back together. Who's here today that wasn't here last week?
1: I'm here. Nicole is here. Yes. <laughs> Welcome
0: back, Nicole. Thank
1: you. I missed you. Thank you.
0: We did. Did you have some sort of ring engagement again or no? Oh. I
1: was in Arizona.
0: Oh, that's yeah, fun.
1: like a mini mini trip. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. It's fun. Who else is here today? My name's Josh. I was the preacher this Sunday. Welcome, Josh. Always glad to have the trio here. Um, so we finished the Vision Series. So this week, we just jumped right back into Acts. We've literally, do we skip any verses? No, I just press pause and we're back. Are you more, are you wary to skip verses now after all the, the crap you've been <laughs> given when you skip verses in Mark? Oh, yeah. People are watching. uh.
2: Have those rule followers out there that can't skip anything.
0: Are are there, maybe looking forward, are there any tricky verses in Acts that you just wish you could skip but you're like, I can't now because somebody's going to call me out?
2: The rest of, it's almost harder to preach the rest of Acts because it's a story. I mean, you'll you'll see that this week. The story had two different components and you have to decide which one you're going to focus on.
0: Nice. Well, let's get into it. Let's uh, roll the theme song. Okay, we are back. So, Josh, you alluded to this, and here's my first question. You read this story, and it's about missionaries, but there's also this other aspect that we kind of parked on, which is just telling the truth, being truthful, calling your brother out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Why didn't we talk about being uh, missionaries, and why did we talk about what we did? Yeah, Acts 13 is the
2: first... Uh, intentional mission trip. Previous to Acts 13, you have uh, persecution scattering the church, people sharing the gospel as they're scattered. Then in Acts 12, you get Antioch, where you have a vibrant, healthy church sending missionaries for the first time. Um, and we get to pick up that story. So yeah, at the beginning, I was like, hey, this is the first ever mission trip that's recorded. And I talked about Antioch being a, a hold the rope church in reference William Carey, who's the father of modern missions is what, um, I think his name is Husto Gonzalez. He wrote the, the church history textbook that you all have to read. We're already bored in the first one minute. Well, I was
0: going to say, that's the great-great-grandfather of Harry Carey, the famous Cubs announcer, I Yes. Believe. Nicole, no. you are glazed over. Who is Harry Carey?
1: I'm trying to figure out who the first name was. William like. Carey. Oh, I heard Jim Carey. And I was like, there's <laughs> They're no way. <all> <laughs> big
2: old Carey family. <laughs> William Carey was a missionary to India. And he was really the first, at least in the modern era, person that said the Great Commission still exists on us. We are we are called by Jesus to go to unreached people, and uh, he spent 42 years in India sharing the gospel.
0: So, reading the passage, I see why you didn't go missionary. It's just like it's a, a footnote, right? It's this just happens to be the first one. It's not really uh, theology of being a missionary. There's no really education there for us. Yeah. Paul
2: goes on a couple missionary journeys. This is the first one. So we're going to have space for us to talk about other places where missionary stuff is happening. And and we as a church are growing in that. We're we're not there yet. We haven't sent long-term missionaries yet, but we hope to. Uh, But in the story, there's this moment where William Carey tells his friend, uh, Andrew Fuller, to to hold the rope. William Carey says, I'm going to go into the pit. Will you hold the rope for me, and that's this picture of being a, a church that sends well, supports well, encourages praise, takes care of missionaries and uh, so I said that's a vision for us. we want to be that kind of church we're just not there yet, mm-hmm. so
0: can we just take a very small fraction of the podcast of talking about that idea of holding the rope because um, when I heard it, I was like, holding the rope just means financing right but you just you just reeled off a list of other things like what does sending well look like and then i guess maybe another part is who decides who holds the rope and who goes in the Do
1: you think finances what do you think i just like like i literally imagine somebody like belaying somebody else
0: well it's a metaphor right we're not literally going into a But pit. i never
1: like thought that meant finances
2: how do you hold the rope for a missionary how do you support them um, um. financially is a part of it cuz usually there's <clears> fundraising involved um uh, it's lonely work, and you need to know that people are back supporting you. Uh, I know that even when we were missionaries in Washington, not the same way, but there would be like Sunday school classes from a church in Texas that would send us birthday cards. And you'd get this like from some Sunday school class in Texas. We're like, happy birthday, Josh. We're praying for you. And you're like crying at your kitchen table because some six-year-old <laughs> sent you a card. Aww. Uh, but we had we had missionaries in China and other places where it could be incredibly lonely. So a weekly Zoom call checking in on them, flying to see them a couple times a year, making sure they're connected with other people locally. Uh, there's there's a myriad of ways um, equipping them before they leave, making sure they have everything they need before they take off, and then when they come back, making sure they have a house to stay at and they don't have to pay for anything. We help them figure out all that stuff. So. There's a lot that goes into it. Hmm.
0: So let's just put a pin in that, right? Yeah, we'll come back to it. You, you've said we're leading, going towards that direction. Like that's part of the office rebuild when that happens, like a place to train and send missionaries. So we'll just I, stay tuned.
2: On Friday, I was supposed to go with Danielle and Patrick, a couple in our church who's uh, exploring a call to long-term overseas mission work. They're going to participate in a training school in Tijuana called Radius. And they had an open house on Friday, and I was supposed to go with them, and it was going to be awesome. And uh, we would learn how to be a hold the rope church. And I had COVID, so I was unable to go. Sadly. He
1: dropped the rope.
2: Bummer. Yeah, this early at the in the, of the game. Pit just floundering and they're right standing
1: now. at the top Thanks, of the Josh. pit still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: so Danielle and Patrick went by themselves and brought back some, uh, some good literature for me to read. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
0: which is great. Okay, uh, Nicole, you texted. Our thread in the middle of the service, asking a very, very important question. <laughs> Ask it again right now. For
1: what just. is proconsul?
0: What is a proconsul?
1: Not proconsul. Yeah, I read it wrong. So
0: this is a character in well, the story, right? Uh,
1: yeah. Well, it's referenced. They're referenced as a character, but it's never capitalized like it's a name or a title. So that's why I was curious.
0: From what
2: I understand, it's like a, a placeholder for Roman official, like a person who holds Roman office, who is a spokesperson for possibly like a smaller council. And so that it's it's a generic phrase to say this person was a Roman official. So Roman is it a hypothetical
1: authority. situation?
2: Uh, no, just think of it like calling um, someone a a government legislator. You're like, what does that mean? It's like, well, they work in the government, or the House of Representatives, or the Senate. We, I don't mm. know that part. I just know that this was
0: some kind of Roman official. Mm. Maybe it was a person of power and influence. Yeah, that's a right? good way to say it. Somebody important, not just some average Joe Schmo, right?
2: Some kind of authority in the Roman world. I see.
0: Involved in the government. Can do you remember the other characters? Maybe maybe we'll do our our classic Nicole recaps. The gosh, the uh, I don't have my Bible with me. Message.
1: Um. Elymas, or something.
0: Pretty good. That's pretty something. good for not having the Bible in front E-L-Y-M-A-S.
1: of you. E l y m a s. E l y m a s. Elymas. E-L-Y-M-A-S. Oh, I was like, I see letters, but I'm not spelling it out. <laughs> I'm trying to help you guys. Yeah. Okay, I so, remember there's like I the word so I.
0: Who is Elymas and
1: uh, Elymas is the. Witch guy. The yeah, warlock. Yeah. <laughs> the witch <guy. laughs>
2: The Harry Potter guy. I yes, yeah. the
1: warlock. The sorcerer. <laughs> the witch guy. And he's the, the one Lord that's the posing as Bar-Jesus. Yes. Okay. So Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus, mm-hmm. but Jesus had no sons. Or, that's
2: just the name. The okay. Name Jesus and was like, very it was
1: just like a fraudulent man. It's just a
2: sad truth that this guy's n- name was son of Jesus when he was very much not a son of Jesus.
1: And then the other guy was like ex...
2: Sergius Paulus. Paulus, never mind. That's the proconsul guy.
1: Oh, so there's only two. I thought there's three people. Oh, Paul.
2: No, I thought there's
1: like three antagonists. Okay.
2: So Sergius Paulus wants to speak to Paul and Barnabas Mm -hmm. uh, about the word of the Lord. They show up that Elamus Bargesa sorcerer guy is there. The witch man. The witch man. And as Paul starts talking about... The word of God, Elamus starts to oppose Paul mm-hmm. and try to lead pro-council guy away from the faith. And Paul responds to him very harshly.
1: Yeah. Very He, he goes, did you just watch Lord of the Rings?
0: Yeah, I just yeah. quoted Witch King
1: Yeah, okay, but you know when um, <laughs> Yes, I feels at Bilbo Because <laughs> he won't give the ring away Oh, he, that's the saddest And he like towers movie. Like his whole like All the shadows oh, yeah, go all
0: go- that evil comes back He wants that power back Yeah Scary when yeah. when his eyes go crazy. Yeah, Bilbo's eyes. Yeah,
1: no, yeah. Bilbo's eyes go crazy, but Gandalf gets like huge.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's what and I then imagined
0: And does the same thing. Yeah, she Do does. Do not tempt me. So. Oh, that was, okay. that's speaking so. the truth in love, right yeah. there. Uh-huh. Exactly. Gandalf exactly. spoke the truth. That's what love. I
1: imagined. Like, okay. And off yeah. was Paul in this story.
0: We, before we started episode, this episode, guys, we got a tongue lashing from Josh that we've been too out of pocket, so let's bring it back.
1: <laughs> but no, we're talking no about Lord L-O-T-R. of the Rings. This okay. is good,
0: though. It's on topic. Okay, so let me get the order of events right, because you told a you had a, a really good aside about Paul's influence and that he could just roll into a synagogue and speak. Was the pro council at the synagogue? No, they're different cities. So the first city they Uh, go to,
2: he goes into a synagogue, gets invited to preach, talks about the resurrection of Christ, and then we hear nothing else about that. Mm -hmm. And so I joked uh, that as a preacher, that's very comforting. Paul preaches and it's like, nothing happens. (laughs) So like, hey. It's just
0: part of the narrative. Yeah, Yeah. just
2: faithfully preaching and trusting God and moving on. So he does that in the first city, and then he moves up to, I think it's called Paphos, P-A-P-H-O-S. And that's where this whole... Conflict arises,
0: which is like it's a the story is a micro of a macro that's like Europe or not Europe, Rome is noticing Christians at this point. Like obviously they had to kill their leader Jesus or God, and it's continuing on. And there are some like we've seen jailers come to faith, et cetera, et cetera. Has that happened yet? Actually, maybe that's later when the Uh, the Philippian
2: jailer. It's a little later. Yeah,
0: Um, but anyway, it's like the the Authority in the land, the Romans, are noticing Paul and Peter and the Christians, right? And that's why he's curious and wants to talk to Paul.
2: Yeah. Hey, there's some interest for sure. Jesse may have preached on one where Peter gets out of jail. I can't remember. I
0: think yeah, he did yeah. when
1: he like is bound, but with like the 16 guards. But that's not the
0: one when the jailer comes to no. faith. Though. That's Paul that's in, a different, yeah. Uh, in yeah. Philippians. Yeah. Well, anyway, so he's interested in Christ or is he like trying to get information to squash this rebellion? I think
2: there's interest. Uh, He uses his authority to call them. Hey, come talk to me about this. The opposition is there. And later in the text, it says this proconsul comes to faith in Christ. uh, But Paul's response to that guy is so harsh and so aggressive. And then he blinds him for three days. That's the miracle. Or not for three days, just blinds him. And so I just tried to figure out what do we do with that? because um, my fear is, if, if we're not careful, you'll just take this one moment and you'll say, okay, God is asking me to be like Paul. I should go out in the streets and just call people the son of the devil. And I just really tried to pull back and say, this isn't Paul's ultimate strategy. There's other places in the Bible where he does very different things, uh, but this is Christ-like. It's incredibly Christ-like because when opposition to the gospel comes forward, Jesus is harsh and so I just try to talk to our church about how how do we be truthful and loving, which in Ephesians chapter four is what Paul tells us to do, to yeah. speak the truth in love. Y-
0: you made a point to to highlight the line that says, he was filled with the spirit, Yeah, which highlights the wildly uh, varying temperaments of the spirit from time to time, because <laughs> one moment Jesus is flipping tables and then the next he's like drawing a picture in the sand with this woman and it's like we don't know, we can't put the spirit in a box because we're human, right? So I guess that begs the question, how do we know we're in the spirit? Like, should I, should I come down on somebody in my huddle because they're doing this thing harshly or do I serve up a kind word and how do I know?
2: This is, this is hard, but I think, you know, you know, when you know, Uh, i reference being in the flesh and how my Enneagram personality offers me lots of opportunities to be in the flesh. But I can tell, I don't know if that's maturity or I've just heard enough people, but there've been moments where I've walked away and been like, I was in the flesh. I was, my motivations were wrong. I was self-seeking. I was trying to put them down. I had other intentions versus when I'm in the spirit, I feel like I'm at peace. I'm for them. Even if it's a hard truth, I'm still for them. Uh, And I've, I've had moments where God help me. I've been able to share something pretty difficult and walk away feeling like me and the Spirit are in step. Uh, That's really rare. (laughs) Typically, it's like, I got to send an apology email or loop back to it. Uh, But I think
0: you know. That feeling after you send that email, that strongly worded email, and you're like, dang, why did I send that? I could have just like deleted it all. But once it goes out, you can't get those words back
2: yeah and so i try to tell the church like you have to be a person willing to receive harsh truth and give harsh truth and the gospel actually empowers us to be those kind of people because god tells you the truth about you he doesn't lie to you he doesn't just tell you it's fine and you have to grapple with that personally that i am dead in my trespasses and sin and i've been raised to life in christ and now i'm secure you can only really share the truth and love when you're secure. Mm-hmm. when you're secure in Christ, secure in the spirit. And then you really bless people when you help them uh, in those hard moments.
0: Nicole, you've talked about your wayward years and your <laughs> college aged years. Um, you know, you grew up in the church and then kind of
1: mm-hmm.
0: floundered around or whatever. I think I yeah. used that word twice this podcast. Um, was there somebody that like kind of put you to task or, or said truthful things to you that brought you out of that? And if so... Tell us about it. How did that feel to receive that?
1: Um, I didn't, actually.
0: Alyssa wasn't, like, cracking the whip on you or anything?
1: No, because I wasn't really, like, talking to her. Uh, Yeah, so I kind of just, like, pulled back from all of my relationships, like, entirely. And that was when I went to Europe last year. So I was, like, completely alone and traveling alone. And um, I just, like, one day I was just feeling very convicted about everything. And then that night I had a dream about... God just like holding me in his hands. And then I just woke up crying and I was like, I need to go home. So that was, that but was so, the Holy Spirit case, actually. In
0: that case, uh-huh. the spirit worked without people. Yeah. But sometimes the spirit works with people. Mm-hmm. Man, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I mean, what a gift mm-hmm. to have a dream. Uh, that's, that's atypical.
1: Yeah. I, it was very, it was kind of scary. Cause then I woke up and I was just like, what was that? And I was, I just remember just like screaming, crying just being heartbroken, you know, but. mm.
2: Yeah. When the spirit uses people, it seems to be much more nuanced and complicated. And your, your initial response to that person is often like, you don't love me. You're being mean to me. You don't care about me. And then often the spirit has to come and soften your own heart and realize that that person actually did love you. Mm -hmm. It was all the people that were being quiet that didn't love you and letting you do those things. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, it takes a certain level of love to step in and say, hey, I think what you're doing is destructive. And that's a strong word. But like, hey, this is a blind spot in your life. Or, hey, I don't know if you see this. Um, but it, it's what transforms you. I yeah. actually think that's
0: how you change. On the way home, Rachel and I were talking about this, this part of the message. And we kind of agreed. Like, There's a lot of times where I will bring something up to Rachel or vice versa. Typically, it's Rachel bringing it up to me. I think I'm in, in more need of instruction than she is at times. Um, but I almost always push back on it because I, I I think in my head, you're only saying this to make your life easier. You don't like who I am because of you, not because you want me to be the best person that I can be and be more like Christ. And we kind of pause and we're like, no, of, of course, we. our motivations – are that we want each other to be as close to Jesus as possible. Mm. And sure, our flesh can get mixed in there too, and we can say things out of
1: selfishness,
0: (laughs) right? And like, I want Rachel to be this type of person because it makes marriage way easier and vice versa, right? And so we kind of were able to talk just for a little bit about if your intentions are clear, and especially if you can um vocalize your intentions. I'm not saying this for me. I just think it's what God is calling you to do. It makes me think of the email, like the the email that you shared. That pastor wasn't trying to one up him or say I'm better than you. Look at all these negative things. He wanted the church to succeed. Yeah. Right? And so how can we do better when whether it's in our marriage or in our church relationships of making it clear our intentions are pure Hmm. or maybe how do we make sure our intentions are pure? Maybe they're not. And maybe we're just trying to dog on people. It's hard. I think that's the task of self,
2: self self-reflection and coming to that person truly as if Jesus were coming to them. I didn't tell the rest of the story, but the, the guy who received that email, he received it really well. He went on to plant that church. It was wildly successful. And the other guy continues to mentor him probably to this day. So But those hard moments, um, I actually think that's where intimacy has grown and that's where you've – there's all these videos online about like people who receive coaching. Um, Recently, there's a player for the Oregon Ducks who like caught a pass and spun the football after he caught this pass. But he did it at the end of the game and the team needed to grab the ball and like run and put it down for another play. They were running out of time. Mm -hmm. And he cost his team some time by celebrating his catch. And his coach is just screaming at him, but he's like – making eye contact with his coach, just receiving that. And, uh, and the, the response of that, and there's also a Nick Saban who coaches for Alabama, another video of, of him just, it's, it's after the game, the player said, I saw my coach yelling, and I thought, oh, man, someone's in trouble. And I started going to sidelines, and I realized I'm the one he's yelling at. <laughs> and he's yelling at me because I missed an assignment, and we've talked about it. And then he just went on to say, he was like, uh, I, I'm more afraid when my coach isn't yelling at me. Like, And again, the overwhelming response of those two scenarios was like, we have lost our ability to be coachable. So when two young men are coachable, it's remarkable. Mm -hmm. Like the whole world makes a viral video because these two young guys got yelled at and they took it and they were excited to receive coaching. And so that's even just in the the sports world. I think in the the rest of the world, we're so soft and I don't mean soft like – like it, it's just there, there's fragility feels like everywhere. So you can't share hard things with people cause it can feel like you're going to crush them yeah. or hurt them and you don't want to hurt people. So you just don't say anything
0: mm-hmm.
2: or you risk like you risk the whole relationship by one conversation. And that's really sad, yeah. uh,
0: but we've seen it. Would you, let me just ask this as a counterpoint, would you agree that we have lost our ability to take feedback because so, oh so often that feedback comes from a place of a power dynamic, looking down upon you should do this, like just passing the buck. The manager who should be taking all the blame, filtering it out, making it palatable, and then fixing things, just passes it right on. It's um, I can't I can't curse on the podcast, but s <laughs> h i t flows downhill, right? Okay, it's like sure. Do you think that the reason we're so apprehensive to take feedback is because so many times the feedback is comes from a very negative place, of a power dynamic instead of love for the person?
2: Oh man, I once read a book called "Thanks for the Feedback," and <laughs> it taught you how to take feedback. And one of the points was uh, you can take it from anybody. Like you can, if it's the guy above you. Uh, this book actually made a point to say it's a lot harder to take feedback from people below you. And um, I I remember being at a conference and the worship leader, uh, a, a sixth grade boy came up to him in, in between sets, sessions, and said, uh, hey, are you the worship leader? And he said, yeah. And he's like, man, you talk way too much when you're <laughs> up there. Like a sixth grade boy said that to the <laughs> to the conference worship leader. Yeah. And that guy was on our staff team. And so I saw it and I was like, bro. And uh, he's like, can you believe that sixth grade boy said that? And I was like, just hear me out. (laughs) What if he's right? (laughs) What if he's right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just think whether it's top down, bottom up, like whatever, feedback is just hard for us. And I I heard a question one time that said, uh, are you a delight to disagree with? and I was really challenged by that like do people delight in disagreeing with you or are you just so defensive and so aggressive and so terrible that basically you're the emperor with no clothes and nobody tells you
0: because you're just rude Mm -hmm. so is part of the teaching then as um, truth receivers we shouldn't worry about the motivation of the person giving the truth we should just listen to it carte blanche whatever comes comes and don't don't consider the source. Like, who cares if they're being an a-hole? Who cares if Nick Saban is screaming his head off? Which most people would be like, that's unnecessary. Who cares if there's a person screaming? You've seen the baseball coach yeah. who just comes into the dugout at the end of the game and just makes himself look like an absolute yeah. fool, right? Is the teaching then we can still receive feedback even if the mode of delivery isn't loving and calm and quiet?
2: yeah what do you think nicole
1: um i think you receive it if they're qualified to give it to you like if they're in a position like i grew up with a household that told me like oh you don't take home ownership advice from a homeless person so like if they have the results i want then i'm gonna listen to them respectfully and take it in and if they don't have the results i want then i'd probably measure the way they live their life. And if they're working towards the same results that I want, then I'll still listen to them. But
2: Okay. This is good. This is a moment where I, I know there's power dynamics even at play right here in this podcast, but I want to lovingly disagree with that worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come from a worldview that says best idea wins. I don't care if he's homeless. I don't care who it is. Like If they have an idea that is better... But if
1: he's homeless and he has this idea, why doesn't he most, do it?
0: Most likely he it, wouldn't have a better idea.
2: Yeah. That's not true. That's not true. I, I think... Yeah. The best ideas come from the most unlikely places. If if the idea is valid, it should not be directly connected to someone's performance or people get lucky all the time. And hmm. do you listen to podcasts? Yeah. Where these guys who have no business sharing their content mm-hmm. just because they got lucky or mom and dad's money or their influencers, like there is no way that results and content are connected in my experience. I've, I've I seen it to be I think the content
1: is the result of their work ethic of the people that i do listen to uh, so like they i just
2: feel like the hustle podcast
1: world i don't listen to the hustle podcast well, world
2: i i just know that if you have to tie every single piece of advice to someone who's doing it correctly then we have no one to listen to jesus alone Maybe that's the principle.
1: But there's like little things that you can pull from people. I
0: I think Nicole's maybe saying instead of black and white, like, of course, nobody's going to be perfect in every way, but there is with, correct me if I'm wrong, there's wisdom in listening to people who have done it well. Yeah. And maybe not every time listening to people who have.
2: Okay. That's fair. I would say, um, I struggle with marriage podcasts from people who've been married for two years.
1: Well, obviously.
2: Three, four, five years. And then
1: like if your therapist is a divorced woman, then why are you going to marriage therapy with her? You know, like that's what I'm talking about. I'm not going to get advice from somebody who has an unsuccessful relationship when I'm searching for one. Because then in my head, like if hers failed, then I have nothing to learn from her except why it failed. Maybe.
2: No, I I think there's some even generational differences. Uh, I think... Previous generations would say, do something, then write a book. Our generation would say, write a book, then do something. Mm. Like, so even some of that, like, I've, like, we're young people literally on a podcast right now. Mm -hmm. What gives us the right to think people should want to listen to us? Sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have we achieved enough to be worthy of their intake? I don't know. You see, I just think that's an interesting way to. I would say
0: there's 700 people a week that show up. And you're the lead pastor, and so there is going to be some uh, Mm -hmm. level of submission to your. Yeah, like you're the lead pastor,
1: pastor and you're the one who is equipped enough to speak on the word of the Bible and teach about it and show us the history on it and the theology of everything. So people are going to naturally want to listen to you and learn from you. They're not going to listen to me. If Nicole got up there, less people
0: would take her advice. And I
1: also would be not knowing what I'm talking about. They would see that. So I think it's just like when somebody's equipped, people are drawn to learn from that person in what they're equipped in.
2: I hear what you're saying.
0: I, I think th- Josh I think, is saying, I think you're right. You may, a, a blind squirrel will find a nut every once in a while. Is that what you're saying? That you may have something good to say and we should be open to it regardless of who's saying it. Wrap this up a little bit. Yeah. What, what's the teaching that we're trying to glean from this scripture in terms of taking feedback? This is really,
2: this is super helpful just processing it. Um, I am. I find myself frustrated on both sides. Enneagram 8. Frustrated all the time. I'm frustrated at the one-year marriage couple having a podcast trying to teach people how to be married after one year. That's hard for me. And I think you would agree. Mm-hmm. They, they're not walking in that. It's also hard for me that there are people with um, authority that force their ideas to be the reality when, in fact, they are not the best ideas. But just because they have that authority, they they activate that often to get their way. And so, I want to be a person who has a position that goes to a person experiencing homelessness or the wh- whatever tier of society, and and ask questions and learn. Mm-hmm. And so, I I think my posture is is to be a learner means to be a learner. <laughs> it means to learn from anyone. The sixth grader telling you, you talk too much when you lead worship. It really does mean that. Uh, and also a person that is a delight to disagree with and get feedback from. I am miles from become, being this person, but that's probably where I would want to be. And, uh, and I also just don't think that having it all together somehow gives us the ability to be the great wise sage ones. I, I don't know if that's
0: Maybe there's a third way where the receiver of feedback, who also has the spirit within them, can sense if the if it's coming from the spirit, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the sixth grader or the person in power, you know if somebody is telling you something that is in line with the spirit, right? Yeah. And so maybe that's maybe that's the third way. It's not either or.
2: It's it's been hard when someone gives you feedback they feel like it's from the Lord, and you just like ah. Oh. God didn't tell me that. And I think that's, that's difficult. Um, the, the spirit of this is Paul is inviting us to protect one another from lies. So when you see people believing lies, uh, you have to step into that space with the truth of God and the love of God to preserve them from those lies. That's, that's what Ephesians 4 does. That's what Paul's doing in Acts 13. He's actually preserving Elimus from those lies. He does it very aggressively. Um so just knowing there's a spot for that. I just feel like sometimes in our cultural moment it feels like there's no spot for uh telling somebody the truth in love. Or if you do it it's always like scorch the earth, super aggressive, you know, this yeah. Yeah, that like relationship Galadriel. yeah, that, that relationship's <laughs> right.
0: over afterwards. So we've talked so far a lot about receiving feedback, but I think that happens so little. Like I think the, maybe the bigger problem is people can see an issue with a loved one or somebody in their house, church, or huddle, and they just stay quiet and never share it. Is, is the other side of this that Paul saw this person, Bar Jesus, doing these things, speaking out of turn, et cetera, et cetera, and he had the, I don't know, audacity or the courage to actually speak up and say <laughs> something? Um, and then do we, do we copy that? And, and when do we know, like what level of relationship does it take? Like, do I tell that to somebody I don't know? Do like, how do we play this out for our time and space? If you go to Grace Church?
2: I, I guess I would just say in your huddle in your house church, like in the close relationships of your life, um, have you been withholding anything from people? because you're afraid. And is the fear of man driving your inability to speak up? Is your manipulation of them driving, like whatever's driving you, if it's not, they're good helping them become more like Jesus. Then I would say it's, it's okay to speak up, um, and not hold that thing in. And if you hold it in too long, you're going to get emotionally charged and you're going to over communicate.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I guess to follow up on that question, what if, I feel like a lot of times people just don't feel like they're worthy enough to be correcting somebody or giving people advice. So would we have to put that down in order to truthfully give them or lovingly give them the truth? Or what do you, if nobody's giving us our truths and we don't feel worthy enough to give other people it, what do we do?
2: I think that's probably why I was like salty a little bit by your comment earlier, like the homeowner thing, because Mm -hmm. I'm like, Nicole... You don't have to achieve something before you can tell me something. You don't have to Mm -hmm. do that. You don't. And if you live like that, you're going to feel like you could never share. Because when do you feel like you've arrived? It's hard, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I just don't want people to feel like they've got to have their stuff together before they're helpful to a brother or sister in Christ in a blind spot. Mm -hmm. If you see a blind spot in my life, you don't have to have that thing perfectly figured out.
1: But Uh, then how do I know it's a blind spot if I don't even have it figured out myself? That's, I I guess, what I'm trying to say. Like, if I don't have what I'm correcting you on going well in my life, then how do I know you're doing it wrong?
2: I think we could practice, even right now, like if I were to say, uh, hey, Nicole, here's something I see in you, and I struggle with this too. Mm -hmm. I think you would receive whatever I was going to say. I just confessed I struggle with this too. Mm -hmm. Versus, hey, Nicole, I used to struggle with this, but I've really got it figured out now. And now that I've got it figured out, I'd like to teach you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... It's all about the approach of like, um, hey, sometimes when I'm insecure, I can be uh, sarcastic because I'm afraid to be intimate. I'm afraid to be connective. So I'll just hide behind sarcasm. And I could see maybe you, you may have that same tendency. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're both, can we help each other in that? You know what I mean? Like So yeah. you're, when you see me do that, like could you, could you be mindful of me? And, like, check in on me when I do that. And then when I see you do that, could I say, hey, what's going on? See how that isn't about perfection being a teacher. It's just, like, let's struggle together. Let's figure this out together.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Why'd you laugh?
1: Oh, just because it's true. Sarcasm. <laughs> Sarcasm.
0: Yeah, the times that... Um, like you made a joke about the email. The guy's like, I think marriage will help in this thing because marriage helps so many ways. (laughs) It highlights your shortcomings better than anything that will ever happen to you because you put in close proximity with somebody else and they notice all your garbage. Um, but when Rachel and I are bringing things up to each other, we have to say, I'm not saying I'm perfect in this and I'm not, saying I never do this, but I've noticed with the kids X, Y, or Z will happen. And that first part is so, so important. Because otherwise our head immediately goes to, well no, they've done that before. I just saw you do that yesterday. Why are you telling me to not do that? So I guess it to receive the feedback does take humility and the realization as we've said, like nobody's perfect. Nobody's I
2: agree. Yeah. Gonna
0: gonna ever get it right. But if we can't listen to somebody who sees the issue in the here and now, this one specific thing, and for that person to not turn it into what aboutism, right? Yeah. Well, what about you? You you do this and that, and then you don't even hear the first, the first argument or the first feedback.
2: It's so much more beautiful when someone actually knows you, and corrects you, and just says, "Hey, that's not who you are," because uh, they know who you are, and that that's. That's so motivating to me. Uh, But we have a lot to learn in this. I I think we need to be a people who practice this. And I think most of us are just afraid. When you get that text message from someone that says, hey, we need to talk, (laughs) you're like... Panic attack. Can we talk
0: right now. I hate this. Yeah. This time period between that text and when we actually talk—it's the worst. part of It's the worst.
1: It's the worst. My life. It's like the I worst. just have a stomach ache all day. Of
2: course, because you're like, mm-hmm. what are they going to tell me?
0: Or and then drop they're like, hey, me? I want to plan this vacation. You're like, oh, gosh, I've been <laughs> nervous all day. So you mm-hmm. need to respond. Tell me
2: what we're going to talk about. Like <laughs> never going. You a do that, Josh. Like, <laughs> give me a heads up because I don't want to be uh, in the flesh. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be <laughs> in the spirit. Or
1: like, hey, do you? Or are they when they call you, do you have a minute to talk? <laughs> And then I'm just like right <laughs> is it is it good or bad? Oh, it's you know, and then they're like, "Oh, like I can't come to dinner tonight. I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't care anymore, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that's how that's how afraid we are to engage that space, and then on the other hand, when you have to tell someone something, I mean like you're so activated often just to share something with them. so my hope is is like to be at peace, to be secure in your own relationship with Christ and the relationship with this person. And then actually be people that sharpen one another. Um, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote is powerful. where He just says, there's there's nothing worse than letting your brother live in sin and knowing it and not saying anything about it. There's nothing crueler. And so I, I think we have some cruel passivity happening among us. And it's just out of fear of man. We're just afraid.
0: It it might be helpful. Could we just paint the picture of why we're even bringing truth telling up to other people? Like I just imagine, like I said, 700 people on a Sunday, if you count kids. If all 700 of those people got into relationships where they felt comfortable to call out ina- inadequacies or sin in other people's lives, what would our church look like at that point if we actually changed? and listened to feedback and gave good, holy feedback. I think we'd actually love each other. It would be the most most loving church
2: possible. Uh, They say this in marriage. Every conflict is is an invitation to greater intimacy. That's true of relationships. Like anytime you do that conflict thing, it's an invitation to a greater relationship. And we see this in stories. When there's conflict in stories, it makes it a better story. It's, it's just hard when you have these friendships that have never had conflict. Uh, it, it means in some ways that you really haven't engaged in that versus other people you have gone through stuff with. So I, I guess I, I just would hope that this is not easy, not easy at all. Uh, but that you would have people that you actually invite into that space. So you tell them, hey, will you, you give them permission and access on a rhythmed basis to check in on you in hard ways, uh, that that's the home run where you self regulate even your, your own biases and your own blind spots. And you go, please help me when you see me do this, uh, that, that oftentimes softens, softens the edge. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I can give a real life example that just happened. Um, Rachel one day I, I came back from the store and I had beers and she said, Hey, I noticed you've been drinking more often than you typically do. Is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, everything's good. Because I I did have a pass where I would overconsume like per drinking session. And so I quit drinking for like four years, kind of worked through all that baggage. And then on the backside of that, I was pretty good at moderating, right? But what was happening is I was being pretty good at moderating too often (laughs) throughout the week. So instead of drinking moderation one night a week, it was like maybe three. She's like, hey, I noticed that you drinking too much and i'm like i don't think so but thank you like thank you i'm glad that you said that etc it was a it was a good interaction and then literally the next week on the podcast you said you want to know how much you, <laughs> if you're drinking too much it's somebody tells you you're drinking too much and i was like oh maybe she's right maybe <laughs> she's absolutely right and so then i went back to her and i said i think you're right and i was like i'm just gonna not drink at all november and december and what has happened to me in the six days in november I feel completely different. It was taking up such a huge part of my mind and like my planning throughout the day that I just wasn't able to do what I think God is calling me to do from a simple like couple nights a week of drinking, just being taken out. Hmm. And so Rachel having the courage to tell me that she noticed something was going on with me. And then I didn't listen the first time, but then Josh makes this comment. He didn't know that was happening in the background. No idea. And then it kind of sinks in and then I make a change and I feel like different. I feel like I'm going in the right direction, closer to Jesus now. Hmm. But if she kept that to herself, none of that would have happened. Hmm. Dang. It works, guys. It works. You could
1: have just done like, It's football season, Rachel. <laughs> I'm Dude, kidding. <laughs> totally.
0: One of, Shane Gillis, he's not an appropriate co- uh, comic, but he has a joke about his dad who's an alcoholic and all the silly reasons he would have for <laughs> drinking. And he'd be like, Dad, what are you doing? It's Monday night. He goes, Oh, come on. Don't give me a hard time. There's football on. I'm just having a couple drinks. And then the next day, you are like, Dad, it's Tuesday. Why are you drinking? He'd be like, "Well, there's no football on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he'd just make Whatever. an excuse no matter yeah, that's what. That's
1: amazing. Um,
0: but yeah, I just, I wanted to share that, not to just air my dirty laundry, but like it works. If you speak up and you notice something about somebody you love, say it.
2: It's actually a more beautiful way to live, to invite people in to share that. Uh, it fights against the primary idol in our cultural moment, which is radical individualism, which has led to radical isolation. Uh, we have a a world, COVID partially did it, social media, but it's, it's just a cocktail of stuff that makes us dying to be self-expressive while all the while not being in community with anybody. And those comments and those likes, they never satisfy. And so, it just becomes this world of isolation. And so, what is not isolating is when someone loves you and says, hey, this is going on. And it, it's funny that we're framing it negative. We, it's negative. It feels negative. Uh, but it's actually the most positive thing in the world when someone tells you something about yourself. It, it sets you free. Mm-hmm.
0: And if this is something that you feel like you need in your life, like look I'm sure there's tons of people listening that are like, man, I wish somebody would call it my blind spots. If you're not in a house church, go to a house church, step one. Step two, ask your house church leader if you can be in a huddle. Yeah. Because this is exactly what a huddle is. Mm-hmm. We do a Kairos moment, which is what is God telling me to do? How How is God telling me to be more like Jesus? And you bring it to the group, and then you hold each other accountable, and you actually make change. It's discipleship. So if you want it, and you're not scared to have somebody tell you and call you out, uh, join a huddle. It's so good. Um, okay, so I've got one more thing, just because it was so striking, before we go, uh, verse 10 I'll just read it. You are a So this is Paul talking to Bar-Jesus. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. First of all, I think I've said this verbatim to my oldest son. <laughs> like it sounds like something I would say, for the, the <laughs> deceit and trickery. But you said, Josh, that this is something god could say to all of us
2: yeah when when you read a story it's interesting how again american westernized like we put ourselves in the story and we're always paul we're all, we're paul sticking it to the man and i was like we're not paul guys we we're we're the bar jesus in the story and and as i was studying the text this week i was like god could totally say that about me and be truthful uh, that that's who i am and and who I've been before I followed Christ. And I just think it's wise for us to sit in the bad news. Because when you realize God tells you the truth about you, then you also realize he's telling you the truth when he said Christ loved you when you were his enemy. He died in your place. He bore the weight of sin on your behalf. That now brings you up from the sorrow of your previous state. Uh, It should should move us to tears that God saw us in our state and said, I'm not going to leave you there. I would never leave you alone in that place. Uh, but if you just think you're awesome and you just think God got an all-star when you joined the team, then you're never going to fully understand the gospel. Uh, that you, you just, uh, I was already killing it. I was pretty much getting in heaven anyways. God just kind of recruited me at the 11th hour. It's like, that. that's not the gospel. So I just wanted to tell our church to be weary of false gospels, gospels that tell you you're enough, gospels that say you got this. Um, when God tells you, you don't, you don't got this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's good news. Jesus would tell people all the time, you're, you're sick and you need a doctor. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only doctor that can heal you. You're thirsty and you need water. And I'm the only one that has the water. He just would tell us the truth. And so I tried to get us to sit in that sorrow so that Christ could then pick us up uh, with his goodness being the the primary focus, not our goodness.
0: It's no surprise to me that the numbers of Christians in this country are going down. Because if we do church well, you are inviting yourself into a group of people that are going to judge you out of love. And you have to come to grips with the fact that you can be spoken to like verse 10 from God. <laughs> it's like, talk about the opposite of what our, our country wants. We say, you are the best. You do you. The only thing that matters is you. Nobody can tell you what's right. And the, the church comes along. And it's like, oh, actually, there's this invisible God that knows a lot better than you. And you're terrible. You're like a murderer to him. And there's these strangers that are going to come alongside you and tell you other things that you aren't doing right. It doesn't seem like a recipe for growth, mm-hmm. but it's the recipe we've got. Is mm-hmm. that right? Do you, do you feel that in the church, Nicole? Do you like sometimes like, man, I don't like that God calls me a sinner all the time.
1: No, I I think it's also just because I grew up in it that I'm very much so used to it. (laughs) But when somebody is new, I can definitely see why it's very intimidating to enter a space where you're kind of welcoming the judgment. And then also I feel like Christians already have the stigma of being judgmental people outside of what God calls us to be, judgy of. And um, like we have like the people who just give us a bad rep, and I think... That added on to the fact that God wants us to be truth tellers to each other makes things a little worse. (laughs) It's
2: it's silly. I I was searching for a meme. It's the Leonardo DiCaprio meme when he's in Django Unchained. Yes. And it says, when someone tries to insult me or judge me, But I sing hymns on Sunday morning that call me way worse things. (laughs) (laughs) That's great because there's the old hymns that like uh, the wretched. Yeah, wretched and uh, for such a worm as I is one (laughs) like calling yourself a worm, and so.
1: But uh, God is like the original. Would you still love me if I was a worm?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So that um, this is the upside down kingdom. It's like when you call yourself that, it's glorifying Christ who saw you in that state and loved you anyways. Like that, that's actually going to heal you. Not singing that you're awesome. We've tried it. Try it. Practice. Sing that you're awesome. See how that goes for you. you you'll you'll feel in your core that you're lying, and that's and, just
1: awkward too. And it's awkward, <laughs> and it
2: doesn't work. Uh, it works for a little bit, right? It's like cotton candy. Works for a minute, uh, but then have, you. Uh, have you ever heard a rap song ever?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's that's all about all me. It is. <laughs> I'm awesome. I all the money these I got. I, huh. I threw these hundred dollar bills at the club. Like that's all it is,
2: and it works for a while. Don't get yeah. me wrong. It works, and then it doesn't, and it crashes and burns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm
1: trying to think of a song that's like, I'm All I awesome. do is win,
2: win, 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 win. No matter what. Yeah. yeah. Got
1: money on my mind.
2: This is old school. This is Nelly back in the day. He had a song called I Am Number One. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he performed at the Super Bowl. This is before you were born,
0: probably Nicole. You know Nelly, don't you?
1: <laughs> Sing a song by him.
0: St. Lunatics? <laughs> Batter up. I'm the first to swing. No. Oh, my gosh. Air Force Ones? What is that one? Oh, man.
2: I know go, the black-eyed peas. Okay, That's an interesting contrast between <laughs> the uh, rap, look at me, and, and a world that says, yeah, look at me, how wretched I am. Yeah, uh, I've talked about this before, but it's a real battle to find modern worship songs that don't make me sound awesome. Mm. Look at what I do. Mm. Uh, look at like Just even the amount of songs that have I, 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 yeah, versus open like, a hymn book and it's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Those worship songs are
1: funky for me, too.
2: Um, but that's the tension we live in. I'm not saying it's bad. This is just reality. And so guys, if we could be people that believe the bad news and let that inform the good news, then we'll be secure in Christ. We'll be secure in who he's told us we are. And then we can treat each other how the gospel treated us. We can speak the truth in
0: love and be transformed. And if we endure that type of life, then we go into the next life where we're no longer bad. Yes. We're perfect. Uh, We're Christ like. We're actually Christ like. I have to remind myself that we are in a period of time called the fall that will not be forever. Yes. I am evil now, but once the kingdom comes in full, I will be like Christ again. You're also Blameless. called
2: elected, blessed, glorious. Yeah. Like those are all true too. I'm just saying don't live in an imbalance. Like you you've got to keep the balance of like I, what a what a wretched man I am and this is the apostle Paul. And also, Christ has come to save sinners, of whom mm-hmm. I am the, the utmost, the chief. And so, that's Christian maturity, is knowing I'm not there yet, but man, I'm going to get there.
0: Yeah, Guys, great episode. Good it, stuff. It got heated in the middle, but we need that, man. Let's the just, drama. Let's go after it. Josh
1: says, there's no good conversation without drama.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you, uh, listeners out there for listening. If you want to email us with questions or complain about what we're talking about. We love feedback and we would be happy to hear it. Podcast at gracesd.com or get us on Instagram, DM us with questions, and we will talk to you next week.